0: Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, First Alliance Church. Pastor Andrew here. Uh, This is not how I had hoped to be with you this morning uh, to preach the word of God. Uh, but it seems that i too have fallen to covid however i'm able to be here with you on video so i want to invite you um, to just come along as a normal sunday Uh, we're going to get into god's word this morning i just want to welcome everybody who's tuning into our live stream Uh, you might be part of our church family you might be a newcomer Uh, we just welcome you here and hope that today we encounter jesus in his word and hear good news Today, we are getting back into our series on the Book of Romans. We've just come through a great series that dove into the matter of prayer. And now we're picking up again uh, an ongoing series in Romans, which is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. And it's one of the most profound and influential parts of the New Testament. Um, We've come through chapters one to four, where Paul has been making the claim that the only way humanity can stand right before God, the only way that humanity, in in theological language, can be justified before God is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we call justification by faith, that all humanity is trapped in sin, we're all guilty, and the solution to our guilt isn't to work ourselves out of it, it isn't religious observance or, or trying really hard to live a good life. The only way we stand justified before God is through faith in his son, Jesus, who came and died in our place and was raised from the dead. But now we're getting into chapters 5 to 8, where Paul starts to unpack the implications of this good news for us. And as we dive into it, I want to say right off the bat um, that the next little while, what we're going to be considering in Romans is is what uh, we might call normal Christian life. This is the life that Jesus intends for all of us who follow Jesus it's not like the elite Christian life it's the normal Christian life it's what God desires for all of us and if you're a seeker or a skeptic or not a Christian or from another faith this is the kind of life that Jesus invites you into should you decide to trust in him so let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5 we're gonna be really focusing on two verses uh, chapter 5 verses 1 2 but I'm also going to read verse Uh, chapter twenty, chapter 4 verse 25 as well for us so in your Bible let's pick up in Romans chapter 4 verse 25 It says he was delivered that is Jesus he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification therefore since we have been justified through faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Living God, I ask that as we unpack this text this morning and today, Lord, that you would send your spirit on us, the same spirit who inspired Paul to write these words would You come and illumine our hearts and minds to understand them, to understand the realities to which they speak as never before. And Lord Jesus, would you preside as the Lord over us and the speaker to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls. Help our response to you be one of faith and hope and love. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. A great myth of the kind of Christianity that sometimes is manifested in uh, the North American church is that once you're justified by faith, uh, you're in, and then that's all there is. You know, you've had your come to Jesus moment, you've been forgiven, uh, the guilt has been lifted, the crisis is over. and. Often in in that kind of Christianity, which is sometimes more cultural than anything, you then get on with your life much the way you always did before uh, you encountered Jesus. And faith is treated more like a metal hanging on your wall that's just kind of collecting dust. But what Paul is going to start unfolding in this section of Romans is that what we receive the moment we are justified by faith is actually a new life. That justification by faith in Jesus brings with it a new life, and it actually creates a new humanity of people living that life through God's empowerment. It changes everything. It's not just a medal, or it's not just the calling card of cultural evangelicalism. It is the inception of a new and compelling and a powerful life. And today we're gonna consider three features as we're gonna be unpacking this life really in the next four chapters. But today we're gonna focus on three features of this new life that we encounter in our text. They are peace, access, and hope. Peace, access, and hope. So let's get into it. Look at chapter five, verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, right? That's chapters one to four in a nutshell. He says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is describing the new reality of the new humanity where there was rebellion and rivalry and hostility. There is now peace. Our sin had cut us off from God. I mean, that's what sin does. It separates, it estranges, it isolates, it breaks the relationship. And unless something happens to repair and reconcile that relationship, there's no peace. Maybe you have an strange relationship in your life where a break happened, trust was broken, you were hurt or you hurt someone else, or maybe it was just the long, slow drift where the relationship deteriorated. We know what this feels like. Here's a picture of Jung and his father, also known as Appa, and you can just tell how comfortable they look together. I'm just kidding. For those of you who have watched Kim's, Kim's Convenience, you'll know that the Jung's relationship with his apa is not so great. They don't talk to each other, they avoid each other. It's clear that there's some offense in their past that hasn't been reconciled and there is no peace. And, and we know what this feels like, that estrangement and that sorrow. And when there's no peace, when there's been a rupture in the relationship, reconciliation needs to happen. And so even as much as we know what it feels like to live with an estranged, broken relationship. This might be a new thought for you, but consider this. God knows what that's like too. God knows the heartbreak of broken relationships uh, on a global scale. Think of the whole human race that rebelled against him and went its own way. Think of the heartbreak of God as his beloved children choose to live independent of him, as they choose to define good and evil for themselves and they descend into destruction and decay. I mean, that's the human story. And the Bible tells the story of how God, instead of hardening his heart, I mean, this is what happens in our human relationships, right? It's what happens between Jung and Appa. Neither of them uh, are willing to soften themselves and to, to seek forgiveness and ask for reconciliation. But God, instead of hardening his heart towards us, he opens himself in love to pursue reconciliation and to do everything on his end that needed to happen to make reconciliation. You see, usually when you've done something wrong, the onus is on you to make it right, but it's different with God. And and this is what we're gonna talk about as we unpack grace in just a little bit, that when it comes to God, even though we're the ones who broke the relationship, God did everything. God did everything to make the relationship right. He reconciled us by sending his son to live the life we failed to live and to offer the payment that was ours to give, to die in our place. And in this incredible movement of love and grace, God reconciled us to himself through the cross. The cross, that's the center of our faith. And when we receive this good news, by humbling ourselves, by admitting our sin and putting our faith in Jesus, what results in our life is that we have peace with God. This is one of the the central things that we receive in Jesus Christ, it is peace with our Creator, a peace at that foundational core relationship of our lives. And when we have that peace at the core, at the center, it filters out into everything. The peace of God will start to guard your heart and mind. The peace of God will start to govern your relationships and your household and and probably not instantly. For those of you who are new followers of Jesus, uh, you might be frustrated even and going, God, I wanna experience more of your peace. This is a gradual thing. Sometimes he just douses us with a bunch of peace, but often it's about walking out our relationship with Jesus and experiencing the peace of God in ever expanding ways in our lives, that at the end, and more and more, peace will more and more define your life. So this this new life for the new humanity is a life of peace with God because reconciliation has been done by Jesus. And then this peace leads to access. Check out verse two. It says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access We've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Access is a really important word. And it's a word that actually gets some of its meaning from the Old Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament worship life of Israel, uh, access was given to God's presence, but only to certain special people at certain special times. It was given to the priests and the high priests at times of worship, and even to do that, they had to be ceremonially purified. So access was limited to God's presence. And one of the stunning announcements of the New Testament is that access to the presence of God is now available to everybody through Jesus. Not just the priests or the pastors or the elders or the important religious people, but every follower of Jesus has access to the holy of holies, to the presence and life of God. And this is what Jesus has done. It, it, again, it's not us being so great that we are given access. It's the mercy and grace of God giving access because peace has been made through the reconciling work of the cross. He's dealt with our sin. And now nothing is standing in the way. There's no more barrier. There's nothing standing between us and God. When Jesus died, some of you remember that story, uh, that when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple, and this was a very thick curtain that that separated uh, the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, that curtain was torn in two. It's a sign that Jesus and his death has removed everything that stood in the way of us entering into god's presence there is access the new humanity has access but look at what paul says he says we have access by faith into grace so so yes it's access into god's presence but he wants to get more specific and he highlights grace he's talking about grace as if As we believe in Jesus, we now step into like a new environment. Like Grace is like the air we breathe. Yes, there's grace in the event on the cross, but that grace leads to more grace, and it's a grace, which he says, in which we now stand. It's a new environment for the new humanity. That as we live in the access to God's presence, we breathe grace, we live grace, we receive grace, we give grace. The new humanity lives in this environment of grace. And and even more so, he says, we take our stand in grace. I want to ask us the question, how are we doing at taking our stand in grace? I think it's often the case that we deny ourselves the grace of God whether it's because we we believe lies about God um, or we believe lies about ourselves or maybe the performance-based value system of the world leaks into our souls because it's what we're living in every day as we go about at school or at work or at home or on social media. We're called to stand in grace. We've been given access to grace and to stand in grace. It's a gift, it's not a wage. Access isn't something you earn, but Paul says stand in it. He encourages us, stand in it. So church, I would encourage you, stand in the grace of God, because you've been given access through Jesus. Peace leads to access, and access in turn generates hope. This is the last feature of the new life that we're gonna consider this morning, is hope. Look at the end of verse two. Paul says, and we boast or rejoice or exult in the hope of the glory of God. What is hope? Well, hope is a future expectation. To put it very simply, it's having something to look forward to. So we do a movie night as a family. At the end of the week, we order pizza and we settle into a movie together. It's this great little ritual that we love as a family and our kids look forward to it. They hope for it. But that's just a really superficial example of hope, and you can probably think of many in your own life. Uh, But the hope that Paul is talking about is deep. It's one that we might even say is the deepest longing, the deepest hope of the human heart, and it's this. It's the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? Glory means God's weightiness, his significance, uh, or I like the word from the, from Latin, his gravitas. Um, it's often shown in the Bible as this brilliant light and it's it just suffuses God's presence. It's this power, this weightiness, and it often results in people giving God glory because they see the glory. Glory is God's. Glory is God's, but And here's another crazy thing about what Jesus offers to us in himself is that as his image bearers and through the peace and access he gives, the glory of God is also for us. In this stunning turn of grace, humanity, even though we've fallen short of the glory of God through Jesus, might get in on the glory. And that's our hope. That one day we will be uh, fully in on the glory of God, but that even now we can participate in His glory. Let's check out some examples from Scripture. So, in Second Peter one four, it says, "He God has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the v- of the divine nature, partakers." of the v- divine nature. I mean, that's incredible. That's talking about this same reality, partakers, participants in the divine nature. Check out 1 John 3, verse 2, and we'll have it at the bottom of the screen, so so um, you know don't feel like you need to catch up in your Bible. In 1 John 3, 2, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, that is when Jesus comes again, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We will be like him. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit beholding the glory and being transformed by God's glory into glory, that we will be like him, that we will become partakers of the divine nature. Here are Peter, John, and Paul, all of these like heavyweight disciples and apostles of Jesus telling us that we have the hope of the glory of God in the future, but even now. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are being transformed that god's spirit is at work in our life transforming us changing us from the inside out to be more like christ to to reflect more of his glory so i want to ask you today as we hear about the hope of the glory of god do you have hope in this time i mean i think it's a pretty hard time in which to have hope Uh, the pandemic we thought was maybe coming to an end, has just surged again, and and I'm a living example of this. Um, But when you think about the future, what comes to mind? What do you feel? Do you have hope for the future? Do you have something you're looking forward to on the deep levels of your soul that is waiting for you? Viktor Frankl was a psychologist who was part of the Jewish population that was taken off to the Nazi concentration camps during World War II. And Frankl was a neurologist and a psychiatrist and being who he was, one of the ways that he coped uh, with the horrors of the camp uh, was to give his mind to studying the experience of being in a concentration camp. He made himself and he made um, those around him kind of the the subject of his observations. And he he really wanted to drill down on this question um, that as he watched people in camp life, he wanted to figure out what enabled certain inmates to have a resilience that enabled them to endure the horrors of the camp, whereas many very understandably succumbed to the crushing influence and the inhumane treatment of the camps and died? What was it that gave certain people resilience? He wanted to drill down on that question. Let me read some of his conclusions. He says, any attempt at fighting the camp's Camp's psychopathological influence on the prisoner had to aim at giving him inner strength by pointing out to him a future goal to which he could look forward to. Then he says this, it's a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. In this profound insight, Viktor Frankl is pointing out that what enabled certain Uh, of the camp's inhabitants to endure was hope. It was something to look forward to. Uh, For some, it might've been as simple a thing as, as wanting to smell the smell of fresh baked bread again, or wanting to see a loved one, just something to hold on to. And today, our text is giving us something that on the deepest levels of our soul, whether we recognize it or not, our hope as humans is the glory of God. That this is our great future end. This is the goal of our life. It's glory. And you might look around in your life and it might be a mess and you might think, there's no way the goal of my life is glory. But the scriptures are announcing this to you. That in Jesus, you have the hope of the glory of God. And knowing this goal is so crucial to living with hope now that's what Jesus gives us through him and following his way. We not only come to know our purpose, but we start to live in a way that is in line with our purpose. We start to live with a, a new and living hope. I love that line, the living hope that Jesus gives us. And one of the greatest uh, afflictions, one of the greatest darknesses I think that is knocking on our door right now in our culture is nihilism. And nihilism is, is the belief that life is meaningless. Really, it's the belief that there is nothing to look forward to, that we don't have any kind of future and substantial hope. Nihilism thrives when we don't have anything to look forward to, and when there's this collective sense of lostness and there's no hope, and people are just haunted by this feeling uh, and the dread that they have no clear discernible purpose in life. And this is huge in our culture. This is huge for us as we live in the culture. And as disciples of Jesus, it's often the case that the culture leaks into our hearts or even actively tries to colonize us. And friends, the reason we fall into nihilism is is when we uh, lose sight of that future hope. We lose sight of the goal of life let me just say I think this is all the more acute now because you know uh, that amazing word progress that gets talked about so much I heard it on the radio today Um, and really the modern project was founded on the the, this faith in progress that humanity is just gonna keep getting better and better through all of our scientific achievements and and like humanitarian um, altruism Um, but That hope has profoundly disappointed us because the modern project hasn't worked. For all of our improvements, it's the sad fact that slavery, hunger, tyranny, violence, oppression, and disease continue to thrive in our world. We've just become more advanced in the way we can inflict harm on others, or it's moved into the digital space and onto the crypto markets where there's just more anonymity, more polarization. And you see, our modern optimism has given way to what some philosophers have called a postmodern malaise. It's the sense of lostness. And the global crisis of COVID has just accelerated it and it's exposed us really at the point of where have we put our hope? Have we put our hope in the government to provide the conditions for our best life? Have we put our hope in healthcare? Have we put our hope in our bank accounts, in our retirement fund, in in, in our home, in our wellness, in science, right? COVID has just blasted through all these things. They haven't been able to protect us from something so small and microscopic, really. You see, hope is essential to living, but misplaced hope can be deadly. It's because when the things we hope and fail in fail us when those things fail us it can push us over the edge and i can't help but wonder if this is why hopelessness anxiety and declining mental health and even suicide are so prevalent today it comes back to that question what are you hoping in where have you placed your hope and let's just name the reality that we inhabit a society that tries to live as if there is no god And because of this, it has cut itself off from the ultimate source of hope, God himself. And I wanna name the fact that nihilism, this hopelessness is in our culture, but it also leaks into us and brothers and sisters, I wanna call you to, to take your stand in grace, to put your hope in the glory of God, to put your faith in Jesus, I know. I know that meaninglessness, I know that despair is knocking on your door. I know it's leaking into our hearts and into our souls. I know it's powerful, and part of its deception is is that it feels inevitable. But there is one who is more powerful and whose purpose and future is even more inevitable. The kingdom of God, that's inevitable. The Lordship of Christ, that is present and inevitable to be fully seen when he comes again. And I wanna call us today to put our faith in Jesus and to even dedicate yourself, your mind, your heart, your soul, your decisions, to the deep hope of the glory of God, hope in God. And though sometimes we walk in darkness, friends, it's such good news that the future is not dark, it's bright. It's a future where God will fulfill what he said he would do. I love the example of Abraham in chapter four. If you just flip back a page in your Bible or look back a page at the end of chapter four in four verse 18, it says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. See, Abraham didn't have much reason to believe either. God had promised him that he would have kids that were numerous that he would be the father of a nation, and yet him and his wife, Sarah, were way past childbearing age. But against hope, Abraham and hope believed. In 421, it says that Abraham was fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. And God's promise to us in Christ is that we will be with Him one day in unveiled glory, that heaven will come in its fullness to earth, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, that the new creation will come, that the whole world will be filled with the radiant glory of God. And even now, in the power of the Spirit, we can live with a deep hope and even participate in His glory that we can participate in his redemptive work, in love, in worship, through how we live to abide in the presence of God who has given us access to his presence through Jesus. We have hope because we want God. We have hope because we know we can be fully persuaded that God will do what he's promised to do and we can hunger for it. We have hope because we have this longing. But let me just say at a deeper level, the reason we have hope is not so much because we want God, but because God wants us. Of course we want God. Um, And you know, we come to church and we raise our hands and we say amen and, and yes, we want God, but we're inconsistent, we're weak. We're leaky, we're prone to wander, but our faith and our hope is not rooted in our human commitment, it is rooted in God's divine commitment to us. It's rooted in His divine promise, in His covenant He made. He has made peace. He wants us even when we don't want Him. He has given us access to Himself. He wants us even when we don't wanna be near Him. And we have hope. Because the God of the universe wants you and loves you and wants you to enter into his glory. How's that for something to hope in? How's that for someone to hope in? Someone who is sold out and wants you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. I love how the theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it. He says, the ultimate reason for our hope is not found at all in what we want, wish for and wait for. The ultimate reason is that we are wanted and wished for and waited for. What is it that awaits us? Does anything await us at all? Are we alone? Whenever we base our hope on trust in the divine mystery, whenever we put our hope in God, we feel deep down in our hearts, there's someone waiting for you, who is hoping for you, who believes in you, We are waited for as the prodigal son in the parable is waited for by his father. We are accepted and received as a mother takes her child into her arms and comforts them. God is our last hope because we are God's first love. Isn't that an incredible thought? You are wanted by God. And at the end of your life, regardless of what you've done, how many mistakes you've made, Jesus stands there waiting for you, wanting you, hoping for you to enter into his kingdom. So the question is, will you enter in? Will you put your faith in Jesus and receive the hope he offers? Will you turn away from sin and from self and give yourself to Jesus? See friends, ultimately we have hope because God is the God who seeks and saves the lost. That's what he wants. That's what God is desiring, it's what he's doing, it's what he's done with us who call ourselves Christians here and and it's what he wants to do with those who are still lost. Our city needs hope, your neighbors need hope. And even as we talk about hope, uh, the hope that God gives isn't just meant to stay with us. Um, God told Abraham that uh, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing in Genesis chapter 12, that the whole point of this, of God setting aside this new humanity for himself, for us to become new humans, is that we would bring the hope of the gospel to the world. And and friends, I wanna encourage you to get with that core desire, that core passion of the heart of God, to to share the gospel with your neighbors, um, to, to pray for the folks in your life who have no hope, and to share the reason that you have hope, with them there are far too many people in our city who lack hope there are probably far too many people in our congregation who lack hope would you this week hope in god would you put your hope in the glory of god and would you share that hope with someone else that the god of scripture that the god revealed in jesus is the god who wants us who is seeking us and wants us to come home. I wanna invite you to bow your head with me and pray. Living God, I thank you for the peace that you have made available to us in Jesus. I thank you for the access into grace by faith in which we might stand. And I thank you for the hope of the glory of God. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and you would bring hope. Bring hope to those of us who have lost it. Bring hope to those of us who are just dogging it day in and day out. Kindle that flame in our hearts and let us be a people on mission that as we go deep in you, Jesus, that we would reach wide with your love, that we would share your hope with others who desperately need it. Would you continue to speak to us as we now respond with a couple songs of worship that let this response Be prayer, let this response be heartfelt, yieldedness to you and how you are leading us in this moment to respond to you with faith and with hope and with love. Jesus, we pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.